welcome to the New Testament Review, where every episode, we discuss an influential piece of New Testament scholarship. You're probably tuning in to listen to Ian Mills and Laura Robinson talk today. Instead, you're going to get Ian Mills and Ben Shepard. We've got Ben Shepard back with us today from UNC to discuss Adolf Harnack, Marcy and the Gospel of the Alien God. Das Evangelium vom Fremdem Gott. Right. This was originally published in German in 1924. This is one of the first works that was really dedicated to understanding who Marcion was and what Marcion taught. Uh, Theodore Zahn had discussed Marcion in some of his earlier work, um, but Harnack is sort of the landmark scholar for the study of Marcion. People who are writing on Marcion today are either agreeing with Harnack or disagreeing with Harnack, but position themselves usually relative to this study and some of Harnack's later work on reconstructing Marcion's gospel um, and understanding who Marcion was. So this is the New Testament Review, and the New Testament, quote-unquote, is a 4th century anthology of early Christian texts. Yes, by the 4th century these things were all written, but our podcast covers scholarship, discussing the development and reception of these works, as well as, you know, studies of the works themselves. So Marcion absolutely falls within the purview of New Testament scholarship. New Testament scholars should be attentive to second and third century reception development canon formation issues. To be clear, we're not going to claim in today's podcast, at least, that any specific text in the New Testament engages with Marcion or is about Marcion, is related to Marcion. What we're going to do today is talk about why we have the New Testament that we have, why we have a New Testament at all, why we even have this idea of a New Testament. The first explicit mention of Marcion in early Christian literature comes from Justin's Apology. Um, There may be earlier allusions to him in Ptolemy's Epistle to Flora, or possibly even the Pastoral Epistles, but Justin gives us our first concrete reference. So we're going to kick this off just by reading Justin. And there is Marcion, a man of Pontus, who is even at this day alive, and teaching his disciples to believe in some other god greater than the Creator. And he, by the aid of the devils, has caused many of every nation to speak blasphemies, and to deny that God is the maker of this universe, and to assert that some other being, greater than he, has done greater works. All who take their opinions from these men are, as we said before, called Christians. So this is our earliest reference to Marcion, written by a contemporary of Marcion, Justin Martyr, the famous apologist. This is all Justin really gives us. We have to look to later sources for more information about Marcion's life. And this is kind of the issue. Even though Justin was uh, alive and uh, working at the same time as Marcion, he doesn't give us much information. Most of what we have comes from later sources, so there's going to be a lot of wading through the different sources testing the different sources, seeing uh, how they're valuable, whether or not we can trust them on particular points. So after Justin, Irenaeus writes a book against heresies, and here he treats Marcion at length. And then our most important source is definitely Tertullian. Tertullian dedicates five books to discussing Marcion's theology, and then goes through Marcion's gospel and Marcion's collection of the Pauline epistles in detail, discussing what changes Marcion made, and why Tertullian thinks he made them. And after Tertullian, we get Hippolytus and Origen, something called the Adamantius Dialogue, which shows a dialogue between Christians and Marcionites. 
and famously Epiphanius, who gives us another catalog of changes Marcion is supposed to have made to his text. Historically speaking, Polycarp is regarded as someone really significant who interacted with Marcion during his lifetime. Unfortunately, we don't really have anything clear from Polycarp on this. We have his letter to the Philippians, which may uh, be addressing Marcion, um, but it's not really it's not really hard evidence. We're going to start out by giving how Harnack more or less characterizes Marcion's life and teaching. Uh, we'll do some interventions here and there, but we're basically going to give you Harnack's picture. Then we'll come back and discuss ways scholarship has um, rejected some of what Harnack posited, built on Harnack's characterization of Marcion, and otherwise nuanced Harnack's approach to Marcion and the picture our sources give us of who Marcion was, what he did, and what he taught. There's a uh, there's an old joke in New Testament studies that uh, anytime you have an original idea, that idea has already been written on extensively by a 19th or 20th century German scholar. It's terribly annoying, actually. Adolf von Harnack is one of those German scholars. He's uh, voluminous. The reason that we're starting with Harnack here is because he is the first person to really sit down and write a comprehensive history, uh, biography, theology of Marcion and try to approach Marcion on his own terms. So Marcion was a shipbuilder from Pontus. This is probably the firmest thing we know about who Marcion was. He came to Rome sometime around 144. Tertullian reports that Marcionites themselves date Marcion's arrival to, to Rome 15 years, 6 months, and 25 days, or something close to that, after Jesus' death. So that puts us about 144. He apparently donated to the Roman Church, uh, then got into some controversy with the Roman Church, and then uh, reportedly they returned this money and rejected him. He went on, as Justin already attests, to found churches all over the Mediterranean, and these churches endured through the 5th century at least, and in different parts of the Roman Empire, or in Syria particularly, were really common and perhaps, as Bauer argued, even represented the majority form of Christianity in that area. So those are the bare bones, but there are, of course, a number of other traditions which flesh this picture out somewhat. So, according to Harnack's Reconstruction, uh, Marcion was a, uh, a proselyte or a god-fearer uh, attached in some way to a Jewish community before his conversion to Christianity, and he became a, a Orthodox or Catholic Christian. At some point, he was excommunicated by his father. Uh, Hippolytus claims that this was because he seduced a virgin. Harnack wants to say that this is probably allegorical, the virgin being you know, the pure church that he has polluted with his teachings. Uh, so Harnack rejects that, but that's, that's something we have from our sources. Again, according to Harnack, he leaves Pontus, which is in the northeastern portion of Asia Minor, uh, goes around to the province of Asia, where we have cities like Ephesus. Uh, he takes letters of recommendation with him, but is uh, rejected by those churches. So Tertullian records a few other details relating to his career in Rome beyond his gift to the Roman church and his eventual rejection. Tertullian says that he was engaged with the other Gnostic teachers uh, in Rome, and that he converted on his deathbed back to proto-Orthodox Christianity. Harnack rejects both of these as things that Tertullian just made up. 
There's a more recent piece by Sebastian Moll that's actually pretty helpful on this called Three Against Tertullian that goes through and reassesses the elements of Marcion's biography and agrees more or less with Harnack's reconstruction. The seducing a virgin and maybe the excommunication by his father, a bishop, are polemical tropes, whereas being a shipbuilder seems to be independently corroborated. So then Harnack paints a picture of Marcion's theology, and it's a surprisingly sympathetic picture that is a theology of law versus grace. As we've already seen from Justin, Marcion believed in two gods, and this, according to Harnack, was a god of the law and a god of grace, that is, a Old Testament creator god of justice versus an alien stranger god who is revealed in Jesus and a god of love and grace. Harnack says, The point of departure for Marcion's criticism of the tradition cannot be mistaken. It was provided in the Pauline contrast of law and gospel. On the one side, malicious, petty, and cruel, punitive correctness, and on the other side, merciful love. Sometimes you'll hear people characterize Marcion as a Gnostic, and this is really unhelpful on a couple levels. Marcion didn't believe you were saved by the disclosure of some particular piece of information which you had to internalize and realize your own divinity or something like that. Rather, it seems that Marcion taught a gospel of faith, something like the Pauline Gospel as presented in Galatians. Our sources for Marcion's confrontation with the Roman presbyters portray the debate as being concerned with the teachings of Jesus. Good fruit only comes from good trees and bad fruit from bad trees, and Marcion seems to have pointed to some Old Testament texts where God does evil. I create good and I create evil. Where God kills people. Where God does things which the ethics of Jesus seems to portray as evil. Um, similarly, Marcion seems to have been attached to the teaching on the old and new wineskins, that this is a new teaching, a new wineskin, and so the old should be rejected. Marcion, as Harnack portrays him, is a biblical theologian. He is concerned not with philosophy, this is probably a false dichotomy, but we're going to come back to this. Um, he is not concerned with philosophy, he's not concerned with some new revelation. He doesn't think he is some novel prophet. He thinks he is interpreting the Old and New Testaments in a more systematic, more rigorous, and more truly Pauline, for Harnack, more truly Pauline way. Now, the thing is that Marcion's rejection of the Old Testament, he rejects it in a very specific way because he doesn't reject the truth of the Old Testament. He thinks the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, are in fact true and accurate. What he rejected was the Christian tradition of allegorical interpretation. Marcion sided with the Jews, who read passages like Isaiah 7, uh, and the birth, you know, virgins shall conceive, uh, passages like Isaiah 53, the same way the Jews did. He thought these passages did in fact refer to a Jewish Messiah. He just didn't think that Jesus was that Jewish Messiah. Marcion didn't simply reject or throw away the Old Testament. Rather, he accepted it as literally, historically true and pointed out the contrasts between that portrayal of God 
and the one which Jesus seems to speak of. His entire project is based on the internal inconsistencies and incoherencies between Jesus on one hand and potentially the Pauline interpretation of Jesus and what the Hebrew Bible actually says. So he doesn't, he can't say the Hebrew Bible is false because his rejection of it is based on taking what it says at face value and saying, no. Just to clarify what we're doing right now, neither Ben or I would be okay with characterizing the Old Testament God as a God of cruelty and justice and the New Testament God as a God of love and grace. This is an old anti-Semitic trope that simply isn't true if you read the Old Testament. There's um, no hell in the Old Testament. There's plenty <laughs> of hell in the New Testament. What we're trying to do right now is characterize how Harnack read Marcion. And, it needs to be said, Harnack got some things about Marcion right, and one of them was that Marcion didn't simply reject or throw away the Old Testament. He continued to use it as an important theological source for learning about the God he did not believe in, or that is, the God he didn't think should be worshipped. It is, of course, deeply problematic to characterize the Old Testament God as a God of wrath and the New Testament God as a God of love, but this is how Harnack reads Marcion, and to some degree, this is how Marcion read the Old Testament. So it is worth noting that it was clear to people from very early on that there seemed to be differences between the gospel message and the Hebrew Bible. There seemed to be contradictions. These are not things that people are just discovering now in the modern age. These are issues that people have had to work through ever since Christians adopted the Hebrew scriptures as their own. We can locate Marcion within a broader context of Christians who are trying to work out and figure out their relationship to these Hebrew scriptures, to the Greek Bible, and the relationship of these newer texts, gospels, epistles, other Christian works that are being produced, and how these works themselves relate to the Hebrew scriptures. According to Harnack, Marcion took Galatians as programmatic. Paul's letter to the Galatians gives Marcion his heuristic principles by which he evaluated the gospel, by which he read the Old Testament, and according to which he created his theology. In particular, it is a commitment to one gospel, so we're going to talk about Marcion's Bible in a second, and it was the belief that Christianity, as widely practiced, as practiced in the Roman church to which he came, had been Judaized. Go listen to our episodes in Galatians if you want to find out what we think Paul was really doing there. We're not going to touch on uh, Paul's letters in this episode. We're talking about Marcion. But Marcion took these two principles and used them to, quote-unquote, reform Christianity, to find the elements in contemporary Christianity which he believed were infected by Judaism. Whew, hearing the 20th century German come out. Um, uh. And uh, also used these to pick a single gospel. According to Harnack, Marcion in the Antitheses went through the gospels and selected the one which he thought was truest, and then went and edited that gospel, um, that is the gospel of Luke, edited out of that, edited out of some of Paul's letters, elements which were too pro-Jewish. So here in the mid-2nd century, the only text that you can really regard as a universal Christian text, the only kind of text that you can count on Christians everywhere using uh, and venerating, is the Hebrew Bible in the form of the Greek scriptures. If Marcion, you know, while accepting the truth 
of these texts, um, but not their usefulness for Christians, he's going to need some other collection of texts because at this point, Christianity is a text-based religion or a text-based phenomenon. So he needs something else, right? So he has to assemble a new collection of texts, specifically Christian texts, for his churches to use in their worship. And so this is really the first example that we have of something like a New Testament, of a group of texts that are considered by someone as authoritative for life and practice and as useful for the worship and the life of the church. This is the first time we get anything like that, and this is why we can say that Marcion is probably responsible for our very idea of having a New Testament. It took him rejecting the Hebrew Bible or the Hebrew Scriptures as valid for use by Christians in order to come up with this idea, but once he came up with the idea, other Christians latched onto it and they thought, okay, we should also start collecting groups of texts and putting together uh, collections of texts that are going to inform our life and practice. So when we say that Marcion invented the canon, um, canon is a word that means ruler or uh, standard according to which you measure something. We are not saying that no one before Marcion had a collection of sacred Christian writings. Gamble has argued that probably the Pauline collection in some form pre-existed Marcion. People before Marcion do seem to have more than one gospel. By saying that Marcion invented a canon is to say that Marcion is the first person to exclude texts and limit the texts. So instead of being able to pick and choose gospels as Christians continue to do, Justin uses several gospels besides um, or in addition to the ones that we now have. Tatian does the same. Marcin is the first person who says, no, only these particular texts, that is Luke and 10 of the epistles of Paul, only these particular texts are authoritative. Only these are Christian scripture. So Marcion invents the canon not by being the first person to include a group of texts as authoritative, but to say an exclusive group are authoritative. In practice, it seems like the churches that Marcion founded and the churches that came under his influence looked and worked the same way as other what we might call proto-Orthodox Christian churches. They had the same sacraments. They had the same practices, they had prayer, they had fasting, they had their own martyrs. In fact, in the 5th century, a Christian author named Theodoret in Syria is writing and he says, in, even in his own time, there's a danger of someone coming into a new city and not being able to tell the difference between an Orthodox church and a Marcionite church because they look the same. That same Theodoret speaks of entire villages that were still Marcionite well into the 5th century. So we're talking at least 200 years after Marcion is dead and gone. This movement still represents a significant faction of the early church. So say you're a German scholar in the early 20th century, and you're reading about a singular, potentially very charismatic figure, the founder of a movement, whose specific intervention is an emphasis on grace and love, and who takes Galatians as his starting point for his theology. Who might this remind you of if you're Adolf von Harnack? 
Yep, you're not wrong. Harnack reads Marcion as if he were a proto-Martin Luther. And Harnack makes this explicit over and over again. He says Marcion was tried by the Roman presbyters on the relationship of the law and the gospel. And quote, who does not here think of Luther? Question mark, exclamation point. He says that Marcion, like so many great champions of early Christianity, was an, quote, unconscious religious founder. Um, he says he was a true disciple of Paul and an advocate of the religion of inwardness. Or Harnack very much paints Marcion in the image of Martin Luther. Harnack goes so far as to suggest that in his trial before the Romans, Marcion may have uttered something like, Here I stand, I can do no other. This Marcion as Luther paradigm is so significant and so pervasive for Harnack that he even goes so far as to, he even suggests without any evidence that Marcion himself was a Jew who then converted to Christianity solely on the basis of the parallel with Paul. Right. Harnack says that Marcion positioned himself to Judaism the same way Paul did. That is, opposition, rejection, and even hatred. Yikes. What Harnack is doing here is he's taking a very Lutheran reading of Paul as experiencing this conversion moment where he realizes the God of the Old Testament is a God of inescapable justice and law, and realizing that Jesus is this God of unconditional grace. And reading that onto Paul, which, if you've listened to any of our episodes, you'll realize this is not a reading of Paul that most scholars would ascribe to, and using that to reconstruct the life of Marcion, because surely Marcion and Paul and Luther were all unconscious religious founders, like I said earlier. Um, These are three people who Harnack sees as very much in the same mold. And I'm not a Luther scholar, but I do work on Marcion and Paul, and I think he gets all three of these figures wrong. This is a very easy and sometimes even fun book to read because you can really feel Harnack's energy here. He's really going on a roll. This isn't a super scholarly work. There aren't many uh, footnotes or details or, you know, evidence for claims. But there is this kind of infectious energy in this project because he really is going all in on this idea that Marcion is the simplifier and purifier. He's the proto-Luther. He's the true interpreter of Paul. And it's a very compelling read just on the basis of Harnack's rhetoric. Unfortunately, what this means is there are a lot of problems with his argument. We're going to briefly cover Marcion's Bible, Marcion's God, and Marcion's Christology. Harnack says that Marcion edited the Gospel of Luke and the Epistles of Paul and cut out of his Bible the other works, rejected Matthew, Mark, and John, rejected some of the Catholic letters, and rejected, and then maybe rejected the pastoral epistles. The first problem is that the canon of the New Testament, as we understand it, did not yet exist in the second century. There are a number of figures around this time who have a Pauline collection that doesn't include the pastoral epistles. Basilides and Tatian come to mind. A P47 is missing the pastorals. There's other evidence that maybe the pastorals weren't circulating yet, or maybe even hadn't been written yet. Similarly, 
The Gospels circulated as individual works, not bound together, and different people we've already mentioned, even later or proto-Orthodox figures, use a smorgasbord of Gospels, pick and choose which ones they're citing, and use texts that aren't in our New Testament, and exclude texts that are. So Marcion doesn't have a ready-set New Testament canon that he is receiving and deciding to exclude a bunch. It's not totally clear that Marcion knows other Gospels. This is a point of contention. Furthermore, whether or not Marcion edited the texts he received is a contentious point. Some of the quote-unquote Marcionite changes, things that Tertullian and Epiphanius say that Marcion added to the New Testament, or things that he changed, we find in other manuscripts of the New Testament. It seems that Marcion had an edition of the New Testament that, like every other edition, had textual variants in it, and Tertullian, reading a Bible that doesn't have some of these variant readings, accused Marcion of adding them in, when in fact Marcion probably was just receiving these things. Jason Badoon, Klinghart, Vincent, others following John Knox and Joseph Tyson have recently argued that Marcion didn't in fact edit any of his texts, that he simply received these variant editions of the New Testament. This, of course, has received some pushback. Uh, Christopher Hayes, Daniel Smith at a recent SBL, other figures have resisted this sort of revisionist history. I'm going to be weighing in on this in my dissertation. But apart from that, Ulrich Schmid has done a really careful reconstruction of Marcion's Apostolos, Marcion's collection of Paul, and Dieter Smith has done a really careful reconstruction of Marcion's Gospel of Luke that are sort of the go-to resources if you're looking for what Marcion's text was. The debate is still very much open on Marcion's role in revising these texts, and it's no longer safe to simply take Tertullian at his word as a pre-critical witness to what Marcion did or didn't do. If someone's going to be accused of being a Marcionite in a contemporary context, it's probably because someone thinks their theology of the Old Testament is deficient, or that they are privileging the New Testament over the Old Testament in ways that theologically aren't acceptable. This is what people think of when they think of Marcion. Fundamentally, the most significant aspect of Marcion's theology was the fact that he was a bi-theist. He believed in two gods. He believed in the God of the Hebrew Scriptures, and he believed in another new, alien, strange God who was the God of Jesus Christ. So, Harnack portrays this old God as a God of justice, specifically. A God who is exacting and perfectionistic and demands perfection from his followers. Harnack is reading Marcion as reacting against the same God that Luther is reading Paul reacting against, who now we contextually we can understand is really more of caricature of medieval Catholicism rather than anything that Paul was actually responding to in his own time. So while this makes sense from the perspective of a German Protestant in the early 20th century, it's not a great reading of Paul and it's not a great reading of Marcion. Harnack here has fallen victim to one of the classic blunders, which, like starting a land war in Asia, <laughs> is taking anything Tertullian says at face value. <laughs> so Judith Liu has written a really important volume on Marcion, drawing our attention to the way each of Marcion's opponents, who are only sources for Marcion, have characterized Marcion 
for their own polemical and rhetorical ends. And this is something really important in all of early Christian scholarship, and probably all historical scholarship, is that when you are reading a source, you need to take into account what these sources are doing with this information, what rhetorical, polemical ends they are putting this information to work for. And in the case of extremely hostile sources, like the early heresiologists, like Tertullian, these are not people who have any interest in being fair to Marcion. Um, they are trying to score points in a theological debate. And so when you read Tertullian and Marcion, you need to take into account how Tertullian is using Marcion rhetorically to make particular points. And Harnack has failed to do this in a really important way. So Tertullian seizes on a comment that Marcion makes about the Old Testament God being litigious. And he goes with this and says, well, if he's litigious, it means that he's after justice. And Tertullian then uses this to say, like, well, why would you reject a just God? However, Harnack takes this at face value and claims that, in fact, Marcion believed that the God of the Hebrew Bible was just. Whereas, in fact, our best evidence suggests that he believed that the God of the Hebrew Bible was evil. And Sebastian Moll's monograph is the one to make this point probably in the fullest voice, that Marcion didn't believe in a just, ethical God, as Harnack portrays him, but as an evil, pettifogging, litigious God that was interested principally in exacting punishment and being cruel. Now, we both think Mole gets a bit carried away in his own psychologizing of Marcion. He says that Marcion is motivated by hatred for the world and hatred for God, and Mole is probably falling victim to something similar to Harnack here, but we don't have time to go into all that. The point worth making here is that our earliest and best sources for Marcion don't portray him as believing in a just, equitable, fair deity, but in a cruel, petty, and litigious deity. To be clear, this is not an attempt to save Marcion. Obviously, Marcion doesn't come off any better in this portrayal, what we think is a more accurate portrayal. What we're doing here is just trying to be precise about what he actually believed and say that Harnack's particular historical reconstruction that casts him as a proto-Luther arguing against a just, lawful God and favoring a merciful, gracious God isn't the best reconstruction. We're not, we're not advocating for Marcion's view of anything here. We're just saying it's more fair, historically speaking, to say that he actually thought that the God of the Bible was evil. There's not even much evidence in our sources that Galatians was programmatic for Marcion. Marcion seems to have made a great deal out of some passages from Isaiah, out of a lot of the Old Testament about God changing his mind or being getting things wrong. Uh, Marcion made a big deal out of Jesus' teaching about the good and bad tree, about the old and new wineskins, as well as taking on board things Paul said in Galatians and Romans. Harnack's fixation on Galatians being the governing principles for Marcion's theology probably comes, again, from Martin Luther. So Harnack, alongside most older scholarship, thought that Marcion was a docetist. Docetism was the belief that Jesus didn't actually have a physical body, he just seemed to have a body, he appeared to have one. 
And this is seen by older scholars as tying into Marcion's rejection of creation and of the physical world, and potentially also the idea that he was a Gnostic. A really great recent article by David Wilhite, however, has argued that in the same way Karnak and older scholarship has fallen victim to one of Tertullian's polemical charges. Tertullian explicitly accuses Marcion of being a docetist, but it may be, in fact, that Marcion never believed this. Marcion reportedly believed that Jesus died a real physical death. Marcion reportedly believed that Jesus ate and drank food. Um, it looks like Tertullian may be inferring Marcion's docetism from some of Marcion's theological principles, like that the creation was the product of the Old Testament God, not the new stranger God, and perhaps also inferring from the beginning of Marcion's gospel, which cuts out the genealogies and nativity, and begins with Jesus entering Caesarea. But it seems there's very little evidence that Marcion himself believed in docetism, or was attached to this idea that Jesus was somehow phantasmal. So for me personally, in my study of the early church, one of the most fascinating things about Marcion is that although he is not orthodox in terms of having correct beliefs, at least according to what became orthodox belief, what we might refer to in context as proto-orthodoxy, he does seem to be Catholic. Uh, And when I say Catholic, I say that with a little c, so I'm not talking about Roman Catholicism, but I am talking about an idea that Christianity is a global movement that is translocal, that involves networks of churches that interact with each other and really think of themselves as one body, one group, one thing. This wasn't an idea that was taken for granted. We often take the book of Acts as a kind of straightforward history, not just of the way that the church spread, but that the ideas behind the church, that everyone was invested in this idea that Christianity started from one place and was this one thing that eventually grew and spread throughout the entire Roman Empire. A lot of the heretics of Marcion's day that we read about uh, in other places, guys like Valentinus, Basilides, these are people who are located in one place, or these are groups that are located in one or two places, that uh, their teachers who are founding schools, or these are particular groups of people. Marcion seems very different from these other people in that he's actually going out, he's planting churches, he's creating networks of churches. He created a parallel church that existed for centuries after his death that had the same kind of practices, the same kind of institutions as the proto-Orthodox church. So Marcion is interesting for me, at least, in thinking about how Even if your particular beliefs about the Hebrew Bible or about God can be different than the proto-Orthodox, you can still have a particular mindset about what Christianity is and how it's supposed to function that wasn't even shared by all proto-Orthodox. There's a popular depiction of early Christian heretics being idiosyncratic weirdos who are off in their own little corner, flash in the pans, who live and die who are merely parasitic off of the true Catholic Church. And Marcion is one of several rebuffs to this. There were presumably people who lived and died 
knowing Marcionite Christianity only as Christianity, Ephraim gives us testimony to this, that in his area, Marcionites were called Christians, and Christians were called Paludians, named after one of their famous bishops. There are people who were born, lived, and died their entire life as Marcionite Christians. They probably didn't know themselves as distinct from other kinds of Christianity. Origen is really, really upset in his Contra Celsum that Celsus seems to be confusing Marcionites with Christians. This is a pagan outsider who is polemicizing against Marcionites, thinking they're just ordinary Christians. Marcionite Christianity is not a flash in the pan. It's not a tiny circle little group. Um, it is one of the varieties of Christianity that lived alongside other forms of Christianity and dominated certain regions and created serious problems for the people that we retrospectively look back on as proto-Orthodox. This isn't in any way like a defense of Marcion or of his form of Christianity. I'm not interested in that kind of project. But it is to say that dropped in 3rd century Asia Minor or 2nd century Rome, it wouldn't necessarily have been obvious to you which kind of Christianity is going to win out. Depending on where you are, who you're talking to, with whom you're connected, your view of Christianity may be Marcionite, or maybe Paludian, that is, Proto-Orthodox, or maybe something else. Marcionite Christianity represented a major and important movement in the development of early Christianities. Those of you in the know are hearing strains of the Bauer hypothesis. Yeah, we'll have to do an episode on that. We're going to have to do that. Maybe have a multi-part series yeah. on Bauer. Yeah. Laura probably won't want to be in on that. That's okay, all right. Three of us can do Bauer. Well, thanks, Ben. This was fun. This was really cool. And Ben will be back soon for more social history or maybe martyrs or maybe Gnosticism. We'll see. I'm going to try and make sure this podcast doesn't become Ian and Ben talking about their dissertation project. <laughs> I've right. seen brighter stars than you. I-